Hello, you're listening to Sunday Starter. I'm Andy Mangum. In this uh, podcast, we try to look at the upcoming Sunday in the lectionary and take a non-chatty look at what's happening here. Today, we're looking at the third Sunday of Advent for uh, year A. Uh, For the third Sunday of Advent, uh, the First Testament reading is from Isaiah, and we'll do a a, a more extensive look in that in a minute. But um, we'll also, you know, the, the psalm reading is Psalm 145, 5 through 10, Uh, Or uh, you can read the Magnificat, that's Mary's song in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. That's probably what I would do. Uh, The uh, epistle reading is from James chapter 5, verses 7 through 10, and the gospel reading, Matthew 11, 2 through 11. Uh, The uh, the third Sunday of Advent is called Gaudete Sunday. It's Rejoice Sunday. Uh, There are, are people who believe that the themes of Advent have been set in stone for years, and they are always hope, peace, joy, and love, uh, or hope, peace, joy, and faith. Um, but uh, you know, I've, I've looked for this, uh, for the origins of this. It comes up in more recent hymns, but it doesn't emerge out of the lectionary, either the Revised Common Lectionary, which we use today, or any of the historic lectionaries. Those themes uh, were, were put in sometime later. I love them, and, and I, I appreciate them. I love doing Advent candles, so it's not a knock against them. Uh, but just to say that those themes really uh, aren't set in stone anywhere. They aren't, uh, they aren't scriptural uh, necessarily. You can find scripture that backs them up, but they don't uh, align with the lectionary. However, Gaudete Sunday is a bit further back and, and has, uh, has a bit longer history. Uh, Advent came into being as what appears to be some sort of uh, similar to Lent, a, a baptismal preparation, and the um, uh, and the the church adopted this as a time of spiritual renewal, and and yet uh, it comes as a part of. Uh, pagan and, and sort of broader cultural, pagan has some connotations that we might want to uh, enjoy, but, but, but larger cultural winter solstice times, and so it's awfully hard to be penitential and to fast when everything around you, including your own body, uh, really says, let's celebrate, let's, let's enjoy, uh, let's fend off the darkness and find the light. So I wonder sometimes, you know, how do these celebrations come into being? Uh, but Gaudete Sunday, Third Sunday, uh, the Joy Sunday has always been there. Of course, we, we light the rose-colored candle uh, then on that day. You've got to make sure that the acolytes, when they light the, uh, the, um, the Advent candles uh, prior to service or as service begins, you got to make sure they don't light the, the pink candle, the rose-colored candle, until the third Sunday of Advent. The psalm reading is a praise to the Lord. It contains that almost creedal statement from Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, uh, where it says, The Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That phrase, which, which, which originates with Moses' conversation with God on Mount Sinai, uh, is repeated throughout the Hebrew Bible, the First Testament. Uh, so I'd be tempted to preach on that just because I think that's a really important text for people to know and grasp and understand uh, that throughout the Hebrew Bible, that text gets used as um, uh, an uplifting text. It's also used as a prophetic text. Uh, so, you know, it, 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 there is a hermeneutic in Scripture itself as Scripture deals with earlier 
uh, material in the Bible and the ways in which it uh, has a, what James A. Sanders calls an adaptability and a stability that allows it to speak in new ways. So that's the, the psalm reading. Uh, the Luke reading, of course, the Magnificat. Uh, it's hard to resist uh, preaching from the Magnificat, though, uh, again, I think you, you got to, you know, get away from the sentimentality and, and really embrace the Magnificat for its radical nature. The Matthew reading and the James reading both make reference to the way the prophets foretold Christ's coming, which creates an interpretive challenge for people like me who studied at uh, more critical uh, reading of Scripture kinds of seminaries. Uh, we'll say very quickly that uh, certainly I'm not uh, wanting to disabuse people of, of this particular belief. Uh, my first significant Bible study on my own without any guidance uh, was to go through, and I had a list of what was called Messianic Predictions, uh, that I went through and read. I read each one of them. I, I highlighted, I still have the Bible that I highlighted in blue, uh, all of those passages that supposedly referred to Jesus Christ as evidence that the prophets had predicted everything in Jesus' life that was of significance. Uh, and, and I, you know, I, I held to that. I think there are many Christians, faithful Christians, who believe that that's exactly what happened, that the prophets uh, were inspired by God to talk specifically about Jesus Christ uh, centuries before his birth. Today, I, 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 like I said, I don't, I don't begrudge that. I don't think there's any harm in believing that so much as, as I do think it, it's a problematic uh, from, from, a, from a textual standpoint, interpretive standpoint. Uh, what I think has happened is that the Christ event was clearly of God because of the resurrection, because of the ways in which Jesus introduced us to the kingdom of God, and that the, the earliest Christians, the disciples and the Apostle Paul and, and the, the gospel writers, others, they were reaching for some understanding, some way of saying, uh, declaring the significance of what happened and to say that, uh, that, that what the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was doing in Jesus Christ was not new, but in continuity with God's plan and God's vision for the world. And so I think they went back and retrieved those images rather than imagining that the, the prophets predicted Today, I feel like the, the, the New Testament writers retrieved those images in order to articulate what they believe God was doing in Jesus Christ. If you feel differently, that's fine. Um, this is why we have dialogue. So let's look at this Isaiah text, though. Uh, the renewal in chapter 35, um, we're going to read here in a minute, contrasts with the destruction of uh, Isaiah 34. Uh, in Isaiah 34, we read about the condemnation of Edom's sin, Isaiah said, And the streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch, her soil into sulfur, her land shall become burning pitch. Scripture understood the Edomites to be made up of Esau's descendants. They were always at odds with Judea and Israel. And during the Babylonian invasion of Judea, uh, the Edomites raided uh, Judean villages and they collaborated the Babylonian armies. Uh, and because of that, Amos has some pretty harsh words for them, uh, saying, for their transgressions, uh, God would not turn away God's punishment because um, he, Edom, pursued his brother with the sword 
and cast off all pity. His anger tore perpetually, and, his, and he kept his wrath forever. But I will send fire upon Teman, which shall devour the places of Bozra. Um, and, and in Isaiah 34, we have this image of, of dryness and aridity. And in contrast to that, then 35 comes uh, with a very different image. Uh, Isaiah 35 begins, the wilderness and dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy in singing. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it and the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Uh, some some uh, images here that are, are important. Um, in the New American Standard Bible uh, refers to this uh, as uh, the wilderness or dry land, the parched land as Erebah. So it has a particular uh, focus on that text. Um, but, um, but, but the New International, New Revised Standard Version rather, uh, simply refers to it as, as dry land. In verse 3, uh, Isaiah continues, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm feeble knees. Uh, encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble is how the New American Standard Bible translates that. The NIV says strengthen weak hands and make the staggering knees firm. It's a similar passage to one we find in Job where I believe one of Job's friends says to Job, see you have instructed many, you have strengthened weak hands, your words have supported those who were stumbling and you have made firm feeble knees. Uh, so um, there, there's um, some dialogue there with the wisdom literature as well. Uh, verse 4, say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong and do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Um, take courage, it says. Uh, your God will come is how the New International Version translates uh, that passage that says, he, here is your God. It says, your God will come. He will save you. Um, uh, and that terrible recompense is, is translated as divine retribution. So there's a judgment that's happening in this text. It's unavoidable. Uh, then, then this image of, of redemption that, that occurs. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like the deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning stand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. Uh, and the grass shall become reeds and rushes. Uh, so this vision of um, uh, renewal and, and new life. Uh, verse 8, a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. Verse 9, no lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Uh, so this is a you know, beautiful image of uh, God's future uh, plan for the people of Israel who've been uh, dispersed throughout the Mediterranean world by the Babylonians, uh, returning home and renewing life in Israel and Judah. Um, um, but I want to return to this image then of, 
of uh, the, the, the replenishing of the water in dry ground. I'm, I've, I've said I'm trying to have a non-chatty um, conversation about the lectionary text, uh, but this is a place I'm going to be a little chatty and, and let you know. I grew up in West Texas. I grew up in Abilene, which is not in the desert, but it is desert adjacent. We got just enough rain each year to keep us out of the desert category, but certainly spent plenty of time driving uh, west of Abilene, west of uh, Midland, Odessa, into the Davis Mountains toward Big Bend and to uh, the lower portions of uh, what we call the high desert. Uh, but um, and into New Mexico, that, that part of the world. And I, I travel there now uh, quite frequently uh, because uh, of my work. Rain, for, for this vision to, to, be in, to, to be realized, the water has to come. There has to be a, a newness of the water. There has to be more water than the desert normally receives. Um, but those of us who have lived in that kind of world know that uh, it isn't just that the water has to come, but it has to come in a particular way. Uh, flooding is a very real fear for those of us who live in the desert. The ground has been baked by the sun. It is baked hard. And when the rains come, if they come too hard, then the water uh, simply flows uh, and it flows in unpredictable ways uh, because of the way erosion of wind and, and traffic has created new crevices for the water to go. And, you know, I've, I've seen this where because you can see for miles in West Texas and in desert places, you, you see the rain coming. You can see these massive storms building, and they can come down in heavy sheets that just terrify you uh, and hail. Uh, so so for, for this vision, a couple of things have to happen, right? Uh, not only does the water have to be provided, but it has to be provided in a way that the soil can receive it. You hear that? For this vision of Isaiah's to be realized, the water has to, become, has to come, but it has to come in a way that the soil can receive it. And when we uh, think about how do we preach the text like this in the midst of Advent, I think that's where I would land um, to say that, that uh, when we think about the child coming, Jesus Christ coming, it's tempting to focus on the softness of his flesh rather than the hardness of our hearts. Uh, the cynicism and the dryness of our religion uh, easily creates this kind of soil that can be brick hard. And for us to receive Jesus Christ, were we to receive him as he is presented in Mark or in John as a fully formed adult coming with a strident message, I suspect for most of us that would come uh, like a gully washer, like these sheets of rain that fall in desert lands and, and are terrifying. Uh, and so Matthew and Luke, they, they give us a bit more of a soft rain of Jesus coming as an infant, being honored, certainly, and, and worshipped. Um, and and all, of, all of that which is going to come, the, the Magnificat doesn't pull punches. It, it's, a, it's a terrifying text. Uh, but it comes in a way that might be a bit easier to receive. And uh, there's a theology, theological concept there called accommodation. It's the idea that, that God has accommodated the frailty and limitations of human finitude in order to establish relationship with us. 
Um, and so uh, if, if I were preaching this Sunday, uh, that would be my focus, is uh, to think about what is the, the aridity of our hearts? What's the dryness and hardness of our hearts? And how does this vulnerable child come to us, uh, not like a sheets of rain or storm, a monsoon, but rather as a soft and gentle rain that prepares our souls to receive the, the, the fuller uh, revelation of the adult Jesus that we experience in the gospel and whose risen presence we experience each time we gather in Christ's name and especially as we gather around the Lord's table. So some thoughts there on our Sunday. I hope uh, your Sunday preparations go well. And remember to redeem the commutes for the drives are evil.